Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Medicus. Today, we have a great episode titled The VA System. Quoting directly from the U.S. Department of Veterans Health Affairs website, the Veterans Health Administration, VHA, is the largest integrated healthcare system in the United States, providing care at 1,243 healthcare facilities, including 172 VA medical centers and 1,062 outpatient sites of care of varying complexity to over 9 million veterans enrolled in the VA healthcare program. At least for me, I am unfamiliar of how the system is similar to or different from your typical for-profit, non-for-profit, community, or academic hospitals. Therefore, we have brought in Dr. Harlan Popolis, a physician who has worked in the VA system for over a decade. This episode hopes to shed light on the VA system, how medicine is practiced at the VA, and the VA's patient population. So the following themes that will be addressed in this interview is, one, who is Dr. Harlan Popolis, and what is her connection with the VA? Two, what is practicing medicine like at the VA? And three, things to consider when thinking about a career in healthcare at the VA. And now here's a quick bio of Dr. Harlan Popolis. She is a primary care physician who has worked at Edward Hines Jr. VA Hospital in Hines, Illinois for 15 years. Additionally, she holds a position at the Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine, working as a small group advisor for medical students in their patient-centered medicine and mechanism of human disease courses. Dr. H, welcome to Medicus. Hi, thanks for having me, Alec. Absolutely. So, Dr. H, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and your journey in medicine thus far? Uh, well, I'm uh, from the north side of Chicago, born and raised on the north side, and um, still live there with my uh, wife and son. We still live in the very similar neighborhood to where I was born. Um, I think from the time I was a kid and would go to my own family doctor, I was interested in medicine. I mean, I would find myself like rummaging through his drawers and all of this, like looking at the doctor tools and playing with everything on the wall. So for whatever reason, it was an interest early on in my life. Uh, When I was uh, about 11 years old, my father passed away, and that definitely uh, stoked an interest in medicine, you know, the whys and the how could this be prevented and how can you help people in the future. So I think that would just, that experience solidified my interest in medicine for sure. Um, how did I get here into this podcast today? So uh, I went to Loyola undergrad, and there's sort of, I wouldn't say like a pipeline, but there's sort of a um, an easy route from Loyola undergrad if you're pre-med to go into a Stritch School of Medicine if that's where, where your interest lies. And so that's what occurred. And then uh, from here, went to residency at Loyola as well. So I'm a Loyola lifer. Uh, and ever since then, have worked uh, at the Heinz VA Hospital. And uh, Heinz has uh, Loyola as an academic affiliate for it. So yeah, I've been in this particular system for quite a long time. I think I started medical school in 1997. So I've been here since then. Um, yeah. So I think um, yeah, a lot has changed, I would say, in medical education and with the VA. And a lot is the same from, I would say, the 90s to now. Awesome. Well, we hope to get into those kind of changes sure. and, and where it's at uh, right now. But, uh, you know, I think it's really cool how y- you solely work at the VA, correct? That's correct. Yeah. 
Um, so where did your interest in serving in the VA stem from? Was it in residency you found this out, or did you kind of develop this throughout your education? Well, I think you'll see in the next year, uh, anyone who is a student at Loyola will rotate um, a decent portion of their time uh, with clinical rotations at the VA, usually. Um, other uh, medical schools around the Chicagoland area also intermittently either come to Heinz or go to Jesse Brown VA, which is in, uh, near UIC and near Rush. Uh, and so we have uh, medical students going in and out of the VA system. There's another VA also in North Chicago, so near the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. So um, there are a lot of VA medical centers in the Chicagoland area where there's a, there are a lot of medical schools as well. So you have a lot of medical students kind of rotating through VAs. And I think that's where my initial exposure was when I was a third year medical student. And I loved it cool. <laughs> from that time on. Cool. So awesome. it was definitely during medical school. And yeah, nice. I'm, I'm betting that you'll see next year. <laughs> Were you on internal medicine when you rotated at the VA? No, what, I think was I was trying to think about this yesterday prepping for the podcast. I think it was the psych rotation that I was on oh, there you at go. the VA that like sealed the deal for huh. me, you, which is, I'm sure, a strange thing for you to hear because you think of a VA and you think of a psychiatric patient within the VA. Maybe that's not the best experience or maybe it's stressful or anxiety provoking for the student, but it was quite... Uh, eye-opening and educational, but at the same time, a very gratifying experience. So I think, yeah, for whatever reason, that sealed the deal. Wow, yeah. And actually, you know, to counter that, I would almost say I've heard a lot of good stories uh, from students working at uh, the VA in psych specifically. I think it's a, they say it's probably more challenging, um, or it's a more complex is what I've heard uh, through the grapevine. well, I think the patients are very complex. You know, it's not, uh, they're not usually one diagnosis patients. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, somebody has depression or someone has anxiety or you mm-hmm. know, someone has an isolated substance abuse, you know, issue. Mm-hmm. It's, they're very complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that can be challenging for a therapeutic team for sure. Very cool. So um, what specifically do you think about that population did you really enjoy, I guess? Veterans in general? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much. They, um, for what, you know, I, I'm from sort of a lower economic class growing up, so I, I totally understand and sort of identify with some of these uh, people in the VA system, some of these patients. They're very appreciative if, if you do take the time to get to know them and try to help them and uh, empathize with them. They are probably the most um, appreciative, uh, thankful patients I think I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. So that's gratifying as mm-hmm. a provider. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes you do get burnt out as a physician when you feel like you're just running against uh, the system sure. or noncompliance or whatever it is, and you don't get a lot mm-hmm. of positive feedback for your efforts. And mm-hmm. I've never experienced that, honestly, at the VA. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, positive reinforcement coming from the patients. They're very appreciative. Awesome. awesome. I think that's probably the most common misconception. I think people think vets are probably cantankerous or have a negative uh, overall mood and, and sort of uh, mm-hmm. are rude. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, you, you do have people like that, I mm-hmm. guess, in every healthcare system. Sure, sure. But these guys are extremely pleasant. Cool, cool. Well, great. So 
I think I'd now like to transition in talking about what is practicing medicine like at the VA itself? And I guess to kind of start this off, in your own words, how would you descri- describe the VA system? Well, the VA system, I think for me, you know, I'm a primary care doctor at the VA, so my, um, my training is in internal medicine, and so that's part of primary care in general. We do have patient, um, providers who are family practice, let's say, as well who work in urgent cares and who work in other clinics like women's health clinic. But uh, my training is in internal medicine. And so I can really mostly speak to the general medicine sort of experience, primary care experience at the VA. As far as like surgical experience and subspecialty experience, mm-hmm. you know, I really don't have firsthand uh, exposure to that. So I can't speak to what it's like there. Mm-hmm. But as far as primary care, I mean, it, I, I say this to everyone who ever rotates with me, and I think they think I'm joking, but I'm not. If you're interested in primary care, uh, adult primary care, so not pediatrics and not family practice, that includes pediatrics or gynecology. So if you're interested in acute in adult primary care, I don't think there's a better place to work than the VA system as a, as a primary care physician. It has uh, a lot of variety for a primary care doctor mm-hmm. uh, as far as clinical duties, but also patient um, acuity, patient uh, comorbidities. So. It keeps you on your toes, it challenges you, but it's also a lot of fun mm-hmm. because you do have various avenues that you can go down. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you have a specific question about that experience? Um, you know, not, not in particular, uh, but I would almost ask, I guess kind of transition into my, my next point is, where what does a typical day look like for you then um, yeah, so, as a I mean primary care provider at the VA? Yeah, so that's so hard to say because there is so much variability in my schedule, which is one of the great things about being a primary doctor at the VA. You do get flexibility if that's what you're interested in. There are mm-hmm. certainly primary care doctors who work in clinics day in and day out for eight hours a day, five days a week, and mm-hmm. that's what their comfort that's where their comfort zone is, and that's what like like they do. For me, um, one of the main draws of working at the VA was, you know, I work in my own clinic a couple of times a week. I supervise the resident clinic, so internal medicine residents have their own clinic, and they need supervision from attending, so I do that. I work in the emergency room. Our emergency room is not a trauma center, and it doesn't have any pediatrics <laughs> there. So it really is more of a, a uh, emergency room that deals with chronic medical illness. Okay. And so that's, uh, that's often staffed with internal medicine faculty in addition to emergency medicine faculty. Uh, so I'll work there. I'll work in the inpatient. So mm-hmm. I'll take a couple of weeks, multiple times a year to staff inpatients. Um, uh, and then whatever administrative or teaching duties that you would have to kind of fit in there. So for 10 years, I was um, an associate program director for the internal medicine department at Loyola. So Mm -hmm. we would go through the internal medicine residency experience and tweak it and and develop programs, et cetera, and and sort of keep that alive uh, for for prospective interviewees and all of that could go into internal medicine. Now I teach, like you said earlier, in the medical school, I teach three uh, small groups. Uh, this is my second year of doing that. So it, my typical day depends on what's on the schedule <laughs> that mm-hmm, day. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily um, follow a particular routine, mm-hmm. which is what I like. Yeah. 
So out of all those, I mean, you you just described a ton of different things that right. you get to do. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite that you like or maybe like one that you don't like as much? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, uh, you know, uh, also probably another misconception uh, for the students listening to this and when they decide what to do in their lives uh, going forward. I think the misconception that clinic is somehow easier or maybe less challenging than like an inpatient rotation. So in internal medicine, there's a big push now to, uh, if you're not going to go into a fellowship, if you're just going to be like a general internist to decide whether or not you want to be primary care in clinics or a hospitalist. And I think most people think the hospitalist has more burnout or Mm -hmm. it has more sort of uh, anxiety because people are ill and they're in the hospital and all of this. And that can be true. But in my opinion, there's nothing more uh, stressful than a clinic and, and being <laughs> on time and, and making sure that you're... One after the other kind of... Yeah, your, yeah. Your, your decision making is done by that, the time that clinic visit ends and uh, there's no time to go back and talk to a patient again while they're right. in their bed in the, right. in, in the unit. So, yeah, so it's very... Uh, it's a different skill set. I think it's definitely the most challenging thing okay. I do. Cool. Um, so you, so you know, props to the, all the primary care <laughs> clinic docs out there. It's very, very difficult. Um, how how would you approach patient care in the VA system different than in another hospital system, or how is it similar? And, you know, I kind of address this because I know you have experience working with the internal medicine residents, and obviously you were uh, a resident yourself here at Loyola. So, um, you know, you've, you've been able to work in multiple different hospital settings. So how, how have you seen your approach to patient care um, differ or uh, maybe appear similar to uh, Loyola proper or, you well, know, outpatient clinic? Yeah, I think my uh, approach to patient care or like the clinician's approach to patient care is probably the same. I mean, regardless of what your location is. Um, I think definitely uh, a physician or a resident approaches the patient the same way. Their, their sort of algorithm of how to deal with a patient, how to deal with their symptoms mm-hmm. is the same, regardless of the location, regardless of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely differences. I would say that sort of ancillary staff, especially if you're thinking about inpatient, um, sort of responsiveness of ancillary staff, yeah, that can be difficult at the VA. It's, it's sort of like a government uh, bureaucratic machine, so change doesn't necessarily happen very quickly uh, on a medical center by medical center basis. If you have a, a large medical center like we do, uh, I think our administrative uh, team does a good job looking at uh, all of our data points and our benchmarks and all of this and seeing where we can do better as a facility. I don't know if that's the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, also, you know, time of day and, you know, access to things like cath labs at certain times or interventional radiology. I mean, I think you have to be cognizant uh, of the time of day and the, <laughs> t- the day of the week to really be efficient in your patient care. So I think a little bit more of that probably at the VA um, than you have to worry about at places like Loyola or other academic institutions. It's probably easier to mobilize things like that at a moment's notice. Um, Mm -hmm. The easier thing uh, that any, I would say, nationalized healthcare system would have is dealing with things like insurance companies to cover things or Mm -hmm. medications Mm -hmm. are not covered or procedures aren't covered, and you'd have to go down this road of 
speaking to an insurance company if it wasn't a nationalized healthcare system. We don't have any of that issue at the VA. So mm-hmm. we have a formulary mm-hmm. of many, many, many ge- uh, generic medications. And if the medication isn't available for that particular disease process, it's not that onerous to mm-hmm. have the pharmacy approve it mm-hmm. uh, if it's clinically indicated. So mm-hmm. it's really not a lot of paper trail, which mm-hmm. is, I think, some of what I'm, my colleagues are suffering with here and <laughs> any other institution outside of the VA system is there's a lot of back and forth communication within with their office and insurance companies that can be very tiresome. Yeah. And I, you know, to kind of bring that out, I, I think one of the, I guess, hidden curriculums of medicine that you really don't get taught is dealing with, you know, insurance companies and, and, you know, speaking on behalf of your patients. Yeah, you're a patient advocate. Absolutely. So I, that must be, you're right. That's a good point. That how it's it might be a little bit easier in the sense with you know having that sponsorship from the government and the avenues are are much easier to. Oh, there, it's not even it's not even the same universe. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't really have to deal with any of those uh, complexities at the VA. I'll listen to my colleagues who work here, and I feel for them. I really do. That sounds terrible to just here's the third letter I had to write for my patient on this or that, you know, subject yeah. or this or that medication or procedure or equipment. And it sounds just terrible. I mean, you really want the patient to get the, the best, what you're thinking of as the best care possible. And it, it can be very um, tiresome for them. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like speaking on behalf of the patients themselves, how, in what ways is the patient population different compared to the patients that you would see in like a for-profit hospital, like a, you know, your typical community academic hospital? Well, I think um, most of the data that we're shown nationally for who accesses healthcare um, is mostly gender biased towards women. So I would say more women than men go into the healthcare system nationally. When you look at the VA, which again, as you described, is the largest national healthcare system, uh, it's predominantly male. I mean, I, for example, in my clinic have zero female patients that I take care of longitudinally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to have one <laughs> years ago, and then she passed away. She was quite elderly. Oh, no. So, uh, you, I mean, you can go your entire career and only see you know, a few percentage points of female patients if you work at the VA, if you choose to not work at a dedicated women's health clinic at the VA, which, of course, we do have. Um, So if you don't choose to do that, it's very um, male-dominant as far as patients. Uh, In addition to that, there's a lot more, I think, and and more varied degrees of mental health complications for these, these populations. So you'd have uh, any any amount of diagnoses, substance abuse issues, et cetera, even like f- uh, family dynamic issues, um, coming back from the military and then dealing with experiences in the military longitudinally through your life. So that's, I think, very different than the general population. Hmm. Are there any um, misconceptions? I know you touched on one previously, but what, what are some of the miscon- misconceptions about the VA system? And that could be the VA system itself or the patients that you work with, um, the doctors that you work with even? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talked about how the patients, sometimes people might think that they're destitute or (laughs) or, uh, uh, have nowhere else to go and have uh, very little care for themselves or little, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to use? Um, Uh, Like Uh, uh, self-motivation? Understanding of medicine and... um, Okay. Uh, uh, 
Uh, anyway, so uh, most people would think that the, the patients at the VA just sort of are um, the lowest of the low socioeconomic, intellectual, uh, financial class um, uh, of society, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, you have a lot of patients at the VA who are career military people who um, worked and served in the military for 20 years and are very educated and are very self-sufficient and very technologically savvy. Sure. And you have also people who are homeless and don't have any resources. And so it's, it runs the gamut of um, sort of a slice of humanity at the VA. So I think that's the misconception that, that I think most people think these are institutions, VA medical centers, VA clinics, are institutions that are like a yeah, catch-all for, for, yeah, yeah, for the lowest, yeah. uh, most needy aspects of society, and that's not necessarily true. Uh, so I think that's one major misconception. I think the misconception about providers is almost the same. Like, I think many people have asked me, why would you possibly work at a place like this? <laughs> as, if, as if the only <laughs> physicians who would ever work at a VA had no other choice. <laughs> or, or could not possibly be hired any other uh, place. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, my colleagues at the VA are extremely bright, intelligent, I mean, genius physicians who are very dedicated. And um, no, they're not the, you know, last person in their medical school class to get uh, graduate, et cetera, and barely pass residency. Uh, that's not... Got stuck with a job at the yeah, VA. Yeah, <laughs> you know, where am I going to get a job? Yeah. Nowhere else. I guess I'll work at the VA. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the misconception. Mm -hmm. sure. Or that we're all very altruistic and, and so we're sort of like the doctors without borders of the United States, you know, <laughs> because we're yeah. called to this. I mean, it's... it's it's a wonderful place to work. It's a, especially for primary care. Like I said earlier, you're very supported by the system as a primary care doctor there. So it's it's extremely um, beneficial mm -hmm. as a uh, particular institution towards primary care and towards providers who are going into primary care. So it's an excellent job. Awesome. I would say the other, the third biggest probably misconception is in the United States there these days maybe less in the last year than in the past few years, this idea of nationalized health care and how terrible it probably will be with outcomes um, for patients and uh, shortages and wait times um, is a real, a real misconception. So there's a lot of data in the last 10 years where patient outcomes at a VA, which of course is nationalized health care. That's what that is. It's the largest health care system in the United States is nationalized health care in the form of the VA. So, you know, those of us who maybe don't realize that and talk, think about nationalized healthcare as some other entity that only happens in Europe. That's yeah. not true. Yeah. Uh, we do have a large nationalized healthcare system in this country. Mm -hmm. And the outcomes are fantastic. So if you look at any uh, sort of uh, journal article in the last 10 years that compares outcomes from the VA to non-VA uh, facilities, they're at least comparable. And if you look at primary care, especially ambulatory, they're better than most private uh, clinics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I didn't. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but then do you support the idea of like a nationalized health care? Of healthcare course. I mean, how could I possibly work at a nationalized healthcare system for 15 years and not support it? <laughs> of course I do. Okay. Yeah, I've seen the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so this is this is a kind of fun question, and this is hopefully going to help me and other medical students, but. Um, so a new medical student is on your service at the VA. What would you recommend to the student um, to be aware of in lieu of starting this rotation, whatever they're on? Yeah, again, you know, as far as, 
As far as the provider and the person who is interviewing patients, trying to examine patients, there really is not much difference Mm -hmm. in your location. You could be located in a third world country. You could be located in an academic institution. You can be in an ER. You can be in an operating room. You could be anywhere. And you're still going to go through the same thing that you'll go through, the same sort of ideas of where to start and, and how to go by, uh, how do I investigate all these systems, et cetera. I would say, you know, because it's so male-dominated, mm-hmm. uh, especially um, to just be a little more uh, aware of that, that, you know, you could have a rude comment or something like that thrown at you from time to time, or, or maybe something that's not particularly politically correct. You might hear a, a phrase or a line from a patient that uh, might be insensitive, mm-hmm. uh, especially our older patients. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I would warn them about that, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. But again, for every patient that might act that way, uh, there's five or ten others that are just wonderful patients who would never, who are the kindest. So I don't know if there's anything specifically as far as a warning. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Is there any, um, have you seen medical students adjust in certain ways when coming from the hospital and going to the VA or um, have, how have you seen, I guess like it could be medical students, it could be, you know, nurses that you've worked with, it could be fellows, residents, whatever. Have you, how have they, have they grown in, within the VA system or changed at all when working, I guess, at the, at the hospital? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily like a, a feature of the VA system versus just getting, making sure during your training that you see a lot of different sites and a lot of different experiences. So, so I, uh, when I interview prospective interns to internal medicine residency, so fourth year medical students who are going into uh, interview time, which is right now actually this season, um, you know, I tell them that. It's really imperative in their residency wherever they go, whether they come and match with us or they go anywhere, that they should experience a county-type hospital feeling or a VA hospital feeling Mm -hmm. with a population that is not uh, so well-connected monetarily that they can maybe come to a tertiary care center like Loyola or have a third opinion here or have um, access to so much medical care. So I think wherever... Um, people get trained, it's always good to mm-hmm. train in a place where you have uh, patients with lower healthcare access. Mm-hmm. It, it does open your eyes a bit to how to order things and what, uh, how much you need to, let's say, rely on your own history and physical exam skills and not so much on ordering tests and CTs of everything and MRIs of mm-hmm. the entire body to figure out what the patient has. So, yeah, sure. so I would say they grow in that. They grow in their own confidence as physicians and their exam skills when they're in those types of settings. But I don't think that's VA specific. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now I'd like to talk about a career in healthcare at the VA. Um, and so seeing that you've been in the VA system for 15 plus years, I'm sure you've had, you kind of seen it all. And, um, I'm kind of curious, uh, what you would tell someone, I guess like this would be like a fellow that just came out of training or resident that just came out of training, like you said, interviewing, um, what are the benefits working with the government, uh, the VA system and what are the drawbacks, I guess? Yeah, again, I I think the strength of the VA, honestly, is in its primary care 
uh, role. It's, it's primary care access to patients. It, it's that uh, where I think it excels uh, over any hospital system. So in, pa- in uh, residents, let's say, who are interested in primary care or interested in general internal medicine and thinking about hospitalist work, which we also do have at the VA, um, I would ask them to think about what their career looks like in 10 years or in 20 years. So if they're sitting there and they're honest with themselves and uh, they say, okay, well, I'd like to have access to students or to teaching or to resident administration somehow, or I'd like to have a team around me while I do my primary care. So do I have easy access to, let's say, a social worker for my patients or a pharmacist maybe to help me with titration of medications or patient education, et cetera? What, what, what am I looking for? as a primary care doctor? What am I looking for as a hospitalist? Mm-hmm. And I would just say that um, to plug the VA system, it, it, it is a very, we, we operate as far as primary care in a medical home model. So I don't know if you know what that is, but a medical home model, the traditional model of clinic was a physician would go into their clinic and the patient would be there and whatever nurse was working with them at that moment would be their nurse, right? So if a patient needed something or needed labs drawn or needed any sort of like coordination of care, the physician would go to the nurse who's there that day and they would try to coordinate it. There wasn't a lot of support systems around that sort of patient-doctor coupling right there. It's Mm -hmm. sort of limited. So a medical home model is more like the patient is in the center of this model, sort of like the sun in the universe at this point in their solar system. And the physician is there, the nurse who's the same nurse, the entire time the patient's there is there. You have a a psychologist or a social worker or some mental health provider that's also easily accessible. You have a dietician that might be there for uh, patient education, let's say for diabetes or heart failure or whatever, chronic disease management. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a pharmacist that might be there. So there's a lot of ancillary avenues that a physician can call upon to help this patient. And the patient sort of feels better supported. Um, the thing about VA, <laughs> VA patients is typically they have more comorbidities right. than the rest of the population. So they have polypharmacy mm-hmm. and a lot of sort of uh, benchmarks clinically that you would have to meet for diabetes, let's say heart failure, heart disease, hypertension. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of aspects that we would need to address. Mm -hmm. And in patients who are starting out and and sort of early in their diagnosis where things are uncontrolled, Mm -hmm. it takes a while and it takes a lot of people to work with that patient to get them from the denial or pre-contemplative phase of Mm -hmm. how to act and how to change their lives to success. Mm -hmm. And so the VA has a big uh, role in that. And I think that's why our outcomes data, whenever you compare it to anyone else in primary care, ambulatory care, it looks so great because there is a lot of effort being put into that. When I first started at the VA, that wasn't the case. And in the last, I would say, six years, there's mm-hmm. been a push towards that. And it's it's been extremely effective. Mm-hmm. Towards this supportive care Correct. model. Yeah. yeah. This medical home model is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think if you're interested in primary care, if your goal as a provider is to really in the ambulatory world, make as much of an impact on your patient's life as possible, positive impact. I think there is no better place to work for than the VA, honestly. Um, It can be really demoralizing, I would say, if you go into primary care and really try to help your patients and go down all these paths and try to do it all yourself in a model that doesn't have a lot of supports. And so that's not what we see there. 
How has the you kind of touched on how we we've seen this transition from to to the the home model uh, of care in the VA system. Has there anything has anything else changed while you've had tenure at Heinz? I mean, <laughs> I know that they've they've had a got a new building, new upgrade in terms of uh, aesthetics, but <laughs> yeah, it's not a new building; it's an old, or, or building, it's an old building with a new facade. <laughs> so the guts of yeah. the building are the same, yeah. <laughs> but the outside looks better. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's the main change. The main change in the last ten decade has been that. The interesting thing about has been the medical home sort of ambulatory care model. The interesting thing about the VA is, in many ways, it was ahead of the private sector healthcare system in so many ways. When I was a student, so we're talking about 1997 here, the VA already had an EMR. It already had an EMR 10 years prior to that. Uh It's the same EMR we use today. Mm. So this idea that electronic medical records, for example, are coming into vogue now, and there are still a lot of community hospitals and all of that that don't have electronic medical records, even in major metro areas like Chicago. The VA, that's old hat for them now. So they're, they're really the leaders in many different things. And the interesting thing people might not know about the VA's EMR is it's nationalized. And so if, if you have a patient, let's say one of my patients who lives in Chicago during the summer and then goes to either Florida, Arizona, or California for the winter, mm-hmm. and they get into trouble and get admitted, or they have an accident, they have a fall, and they need medical attention, I can see everything on my EMR mm-hmm. that happens at that Florida VA system, for example. Right. So, you know, something like that for the country in general, I think, would be life-changing. It would be a seismic change for healthcare in the country. Right. Um, and I can't tell you how uh, easy it is to access <laughs> to right. actually right. access this information. So, uh-huh. so in many ways, the VA is in medical research and uh, EMR and all of that. It's way ahead of the public sector. Awesome. And you know, almost the kind of reminds me of this idea of you know trying to i think one of the one of the major points of this nationalized healthcare system or benefits i guess that to the to the nationalized healthcare system is the idea of um pooling together so many different cohorts and people within research and so i know you kind of touched on research a little bit but um what has come out of the VA, I guess, the VA system and the research that's been done uh, with the VHA? Uh, oh, that's a pod, that's like 20 podcasts long. <laughs> I mean, the, the VA system nationally is the largest researcher of medical information there is. Sure. So, yeah, it, it has its hand in every large-scale medical research study as far as patient pop, uh, number of patients or, or collaborating uh, investigators. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, there's uh, there's an ongoing project called the Million Veterans Program. This idea of genomic testing, what the VA is doing is trying to take samples from a million patients, and this is just at Heinz. The Heinz is one of the main wow. uh, facilities that is doing that. A million patients to analyze their genetic data and couple that huh. with the clinical disease processes that they have. So can we can we link? diseases that are actually known to certain genes. And so the VA has been doing that for the last three years. So that's ongoing. But yeah, I mean, anything that you can think of, the VA has had a major hand in, like the shingles vaccines that everyone talks about now, that was created at the VA (laughs) nationally. Um, So yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of research, and that, that's sort of even an understatement. There's an astronomical amount of research that happens through VHA nationally. Sure, and I think that that's also probably a, 
a plus if you're, you know, uh, a physician who's interested in performing research and, oh, absolutely. you know, to, absolutely. to go it, to the VA system. Sort of hand in hand with that. There's uh, an enormous amount of quality improvement patient safety projects that go on as well. So not necessarily uh, medical research uh, with randomized control trials, et cetera, but patient safety data and projects and, uh, for example, catheter-associated UTIs or catheter-associated infections and all of that. Uh, we are, the VA system is, a, is, necess- is, when compared to private sector, improved on those outcomes because there is a sort of a nationalized support for that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. H., it's been a wonderful, wonderful time to have you on. And I know I've learned a lot from from this interview, and I hope everyone listening uh, has also learned um, a lot about uh, the VA system and potentially thinking about a career going into the VA. Um, So, yeah, so we'd like to thank Dr. H. again, uh, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for having me again, Alec. Yep. Healthcare literacy is what I was trying to say. Literacy, okay. I was like, what is that damn word that I cannot? Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.